Section 3 of Commentary on the Gospel of John, Book 7, by Cyril of Alexandria. Translated by Reverend Thomas Randall. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 11, 1, 2. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, of the village of Mary and her sister Martha, and it was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment, and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. With a purpose does the evangelist make mention of the names of the women, showing that they were distinguished for their piety. Wherefore also the Lord loved them. And of the many things which probably had been done for the Lord by Mary, he mentions the ointment, not at haphazard, but to show that Mary had such thirst after Christ that she wiped his feet with her own hair, seeking to fasten to herself more really the spiritual blessing which comes from his holy flesh. For, indeed, she appears often with much warmth of attachment to have sat close to Christ without being distracted by interruption, and to have been drawn into friendly relationship with him. 3. His sisters therefore sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. The women send to the Lord, ever wishing to have him near them, but on this occasion sending under a fair pretext on account of him who was sick. For they believed that if Christ would only appear, the sufferer would be set free from his disease. And they gently remind him of the love, which he had for the sick man, drawing him thither especially by this means. For they knew that he took thought for this man. And he was able, even though absent, to heal him, as being God and tending all things. Nevertheless, they thought that if he were present, he would put forth his hand and awaken him. Not even they possessed as yet the perfection of faith, wherefore also they are troubled, as it seems probable, with the thought that Lazarus would not have been ill at all, had not Christ neglected him. For, say they, since such as are beloved by God possess all good things, why is he whom thou lovest sick? Or perhaps they even say, Great is the audacity of the sickness, because it dared to attack such as are beloved by God and it may be too that they seem to say something of this sort. Since thou lovest and healest even thine enemies, much rather oughtest thou to confer such benefits on them that love thee. For thou art able to do all things by merely thy will. Therefore their language is full of faith and proves their close relationship to Christ. 4. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified thereby. The Lord now says this, not that the men may go away and report it to the sisters of Lazarus, but as God foretelling what should come to pass, because he saw that the conclusion of the affair would be for the glory of God, not that the sickness came upon the man for this reason, that he should be glorified, for it would be silly to say this. But since it had come, he also saw that it would result in a wonderful end. 
and he says that himself is in his nature God, for that which is done is done for his glory. For after saying that the sickness was for the glory of God, he added, that the Son of God may be glorified thereby, speaking concerning himself. And if he himself said that the sickness of Lazarus was not unto death, and yet his death took place, there is nothing to marvel at. For looking on to the final result of the affair, and seeing that he was going to raise him up after a little time, we do not consider anything that took place in the interval, but only how the end would result. For the Lord determined to set forth the weakness of death, and to show forth all that happened as for the glory of God, that is, of himself. 6. When therefore he heard that he was sick, he abode at that time two days in the place where he was. And he deferred his arrival, in order that he might not heal him while sick, but raise him when dead, which is a work of greater power, so that he would be more greatly glorified. 7.8. And after this he saith to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Rabbi, the Jews were but now seeking to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Now when the Lord said, Let us go into Judea again, he seems almost to declare, Even though the people there are unworthy of kindness, yet now that an opportunity presents itself of conveying them some advantage, let us go back to them. But the disciples in their love for him think it right to try to hinder him. And moreover, as men, they suppose that he would be unwilling to put himself in peril by going amongst the Jews. Wherefore also they remind him of the madness of the Jews against him, all but saying, Why again dost thou seek to be amidst the unbelieving and ungrateful people who are not softened either by thy words or even by thy works, who even yet are of murderous intent against thee? and who are boiling with passionate rage. Either then they say this, or their language signifies that he is leading them to evident danger. Nevertheless, they are obedient to their teacher, as to one who knows what is best. 9.10 Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If therefore a man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he may see the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because the light is not in him. Perhaps he compares to the ever-moving course of the day the easily swayed and novelty-loving mind of men, which is not established in one opinion, but vacillates from one way of thinking to another, just as the day changes from one hour to another. And thus also thou wilt understand the words, Are there not twelve hours in the day? That is, I, says he, am the day and the light. Therefore, just as it is not possible for the light of the day to fail, without having completed its appointed time, so it is not among possibilities that the illumination which proceeds from me should be shrouded from the Jews, 
without having fully reached its fitting measure of philanthropy. And he speaks of the time of his presence as day, and of that before it as night, as also when the Lord says, We must work the works of him that sent us while it is day. This, therefore, is what he here says. It is not now a time for me to separate myself from the Jews, even though they be unholy, for I must do all things that pertain to their healing. For they must not now be punished by having the divine grace, like the light of the sun, withdrawn from them. But just as the light of the day does not fail until the twelve hours have been completed, so the illumination that proceeds from me is not shrouded before the proper time. But until I am crucified, I remain among the Jews, sending forth unto them like light the understanding of the knowledge of God. For since the Jews are in the darkness of unbelief, and so stumble at me as at a stone, I must go back to them and enlighten them, that they may desist from their madness in fighting against God. 11. These things spake he, and after this he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus is fallen asleep, but I go, that I may awake him out of sleep. A worthy cause draws me towards Jerusalem, for so much is signified by the words, Our friend is fallen asleep. And if we should let it pass neglected, we should incur the reputation of being devoid of compassion. Wherefore, we must avoid the disgrace of such conduct and run to the help of our friend, despising the plots of the Jews. And showing his own God-befitting power, he calls the departure of the human soul from the body by the name of sleep, and very rightly, for he does not think it proper to call it death, who created man for immortality, according as it is written, and made the generations of the world to be healthful. Moreover, the language is also true, because the temporary death of our body is in the sight of God really a sleep and nothing different, brought to an end by a mere and single sign from that which is by nature life, namely, Christ. And notice that he did not say, Lazarus is dead, and they go to raise him to life, but says, He is fallen asleep avoiding boastfulness for our instruction and profit. For, without some such good reason, he would not have uttered a sentence so obscure in its hidden meaning that not even the disciples themselves understood what was said. For he did not say, I go to quicken him into life, or to raise him up from the dead, but that I may awake him out of sleep which was at the time insufficient to suggest his real meaning. 12. 13. His disciples therefore said, Lord, if he is fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he spake of taking rest in sleep. They, not understanding the force of the words, thought that Jesus spake of taking rest in sleep, which when sick men can do, they generally experience refreshment. Wherefore the disciples say, It is not worth while to go and disturb Lazarus from his sleep, 
for it does not benefit a sick man to awake him out of sleep. And this they said, wishing to hinder him from the journey, by remarking that it was not meet to go into the midst of those murderers, for the sake of doing something which could produce no good result. 14.15 Then Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent ye may believe, nevertheless let us go unto him. The disciples therefore not understanding that he had called death by the name of sleep, he made his meaning clearer, saying, He is dead. And he says that he is glad, not out of a love of glory, because he was going to do the marvelous deed, but because this was going to become for the disciples a ground of faith. And the words, I was not there, signify as follows. If I had been there, he would not have died, because I should have had pity on him when he was suffering only a little. But now in my absence his death has taken place, so that, by raising him to life, I shall bestow upon you much advantage through your faith in me. And Christ says this, not as being able to do God-befitting deeds only when he is present, but because, if he had been present, he could not have neglected his friend until the occurrence of death. And he says, Let us go unto him, as unto a living person. For the dead, inasmuch as they are destined to live, are alive unto him as God. 16. Thomas, therefore, who is called Didymus, said unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. The language of Thomas has indeed zeal, but it also has timidity. It was the outcome of devout feeling, but it was mixed with littleness of faith. For he does not endure being left behind, and even tries to persuade the others to adopt the same resolution. Nevertheless, he thinks that they are destined to suffer death at the hands of the Jews, even against the will of Christ, by reason of the murderous passion of the Jews, not looking at the power of the Deliverer, as he ought rather to have done. And Christ made them timid, by enduring with patience beyond measure the sufferings he experienced at the hands of the Jews. Thomas therefore says that they ought not to separate themselves from their teacher, although undoubted danger lay before them. So, perhaps with a gentle smile, he said, Let us go, that is, let us die. Or he speaks thus, Of a certainty if we go we shall die. Nevertheless, let us not refuse to suffer, for we ought not to be cowardly to such a degree because if he raises the dead, fear is superfluous, for we have one who is able to raise us again after we have fallen. 17, 18, 19. So when Jesus came to Bethany, he found that he had been in the tomb four days already. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, fifteen furlongs off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary, to console them concerning their brother. He mentions also the length of days that had intervened after the death of Lazarus for this reason, 
that the miracle may be the more marveled at, and lest any one should chance to say that he had come after one day, and that Lazarus was not dead, but he had raised him up from sickness. And he says that many Jews were in Bethany, although the place was not a populous one, being come out of Jerusalem. For the distance of road between the two places was not so great as to hinder their sincere friends from being with Martha and Mary. And since the miracle was talked about by all in Jerusalem and the country round about, he gives the reason, that as there were many people there, the story was naturally spread abroad in all directions, some telling what had been done from admiration, and others through envy, to attach a false accusation to the miracle through their lying account of it. 20. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary still sat in the house. Perhaps Martha was the more eager to do such things as might be necessary, wherefore also she first went and met him. But Mary was the more intelligent. Wherefore, as possessing a more sensitive soul, she remained at home, receiving the attentions of her consoling friends. But Martha, as a simpler person, started off, intoxicated indeed with her grief, but nevertheless acting with more vigor. 21, 22, 23, 24. Martha therefore said unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. And even now I know that, whatsoever thou shalt ask of God, God will give thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha answered him, I know that he shall rise again at the last day. What Martha says amounts to this. Not for this reason, she says, did my brother die, because the nature of man is subject to death, but because thou wast not present, who art able by thy word to conquer death. But in her grief, wandering beyond propriety, she considered that the Lord was no longer able to do anything as the time for help had gone by and she thought that he had come not for the raising again of Lazarus, but that he might console them. For softly and gently she reproaches him for his tardiness and not immediately coming when it would have been possible for him to help them, when they sent, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. And the words, Whatsoever thou shalt ask of God he will give thee, are the words of one who is almost afraid to ask plainly what she wishes. Nevertheless, she stumbles concerning the truth, and that she speaks not as to God, but as to one of the saints. His being seen in the flesh causing her to think that whatsoever he should ask as a saint, he would receive from God. Not indeed knowing that, being in his nature God and the power of the Father, he possesses irresistible might over all things. For if she had known that he was God, she would not have said, If thou hadst been here, for God is everywhere. Through his adversity to arrogance, however, the Lord did not say, I will raise up thy brother, but he shall rise again. 
all but softly rebuking her and saying, He indeed rises again as thou wishest, but not as thou thinkest. For if thou supposest that it will be accomplished by prayer and supplication, take upon thyself the part of prayer, but do not bid me do it, who am a wonder-worker, able by my own might to raise the dead. The woman, having heard this, and being ashamed now to say, Raise him to life, yet in some degree instigating him to do the work at once, seems somewhat to be saddened at the postponement of the time, saying, I know that he shall rise again at the last day, but I long to see before that time the resurrection of my brother. Again, when the Lord said, Thy brother shall rise again, the woman all but signifies her agreement with this doctrine, saying, I know that, for I believe that the dead will be raised, according as thou didst teach. For the hour cometh, and they shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done ill unto the resurrection of judgment. And likewise Isaiah also in the Spirit said, The dead shall be raised, and they that are in the tombs shall be awakened. For I do not disbelieve in the doctrine of the resurrection, as the Sadducees do. 25, 26, 27 Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth on me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I have believed that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, even he that cometh into the world. Assuredly, a fruit and reward of faith in Christ is eternal life, and in no other way does this come to the soul of man. For although we are all raised to life through Christ, yet this eternal life given to the faithful is the true life, namely, to live unendingly in bliss. For to be restored to life only for punishment differs nothing from death. If, therefore, anyone notices that even the saints, who have received promises of life, die, this is nothing, for it is only what naturally comes to pass. And until the proper time has been reserved, the display of the grace of resurrection, which is powerful, not partially, but effectually, in the case of all men, even of those saints who have died in time past and are tasting death for a short time, until the general resurrection. For then, together, all will enjoy the good things. And in saying, Though he die, yet shall he live, the Saviour did not take away the death in this present world, but admits that it has such might against the faithful that it naturally happens to them, and no more because he has reserved the grace of resurrection until the proper time. He certainly says, He that believeth on me shall not be without a participation in the death of the flesh in the ordinary course of human nature. But nevertheless he will suffer nothing worthy of fear in this, as God is able easily to make alive whomsoever he will. For he that believeth on him 
hath in the world to come an endless life in bliss and perfect immortality wherefore let not any of the unbelieving mock for christ did not say from this present moment he shall in no wise see death but when he said absolutely he shall never see death in any wise he spake concerning the world to come reserving the end of the promise until then and saying unto martha believest thou he demands the confession of faith as the parent and patron of the eternal life and she readily assented and accurately confesses not simply believing that he is a christ and a son of god for a prophet also can be a christ by reason of being anointed and the same person can be understood to be a son of god but using the definite article and saying the christ the son of god she confesses the only and preeminent and true son therefore her faith was on the son not on a creature end of section three